Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Lord's Day. ask that you'll be with us and be with us in our worship of you. Be with us with your Holy Spirit as you teach us and speak to us. And we ask that you will change us and conform us to, to your likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are to God's holiness, today's class. We've been through, last week was God's holy anger, and now we're going to concentrate really on the holiness of God himself, and then next week will be the problem of evil. So jumping into this, uh, God's holiness, let's get a definition out. Uh, What does it mean for God to be holy? Just basic, simple definition. Huh? To be set apart. Yes, very good. That's probably going to be my bottom line description. Anything else? Talk about, think about God and his holiness. What do you think of? What's that? Protection? Perfection. Okay. Perfection, yes. What else? Not capable of sin. Okay. <laughs> Lively bunch this morning. <laughs> All that is good. It's, I, I'm going to give you a definition here. Uh, it's going to line up with what you guys have been saying. The absolute moral purity of God, which I think is the first thing that comes into our mind, his purity, his, his holiness, his purity, his righteousness, Part, the part we don't necessarily think of is and the absolute moral distance between God and his human creatures. <laughs> so we describe God as holy, holy, holy. And in the scriptures, when you have doubles and triples, when something's repeated, that's because they wouldn't have the same language as us back then. So they might say, Jesus might say, truly, truly, I say something to you. Now, everything Jesus said was true. But when he says truly, truly, he's saying a truth, a truth, here it is, right? So elevating it up above other, other truths. So holy, 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 when we get to triples in Scripture, um, can, I, can you think of any triples? Any triples that come to mind from Scripture? The Trinity. What's that? Uh, he only uses two of those. Yeah, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> Anything else? How about numbers? Any numbers come to mind? Six, six, six. Seven, seven, seven. So it's just a way. So when, when we say God, or when the scripture says God is holy, 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 it's God is holy. No, no, no. <laughs> He's holy, but the triple is completeness. So even with 666, it's complete 
utter wickedness, you know, at, at the highest level. So we get to holy, 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 and it is, he's holy, no, he's holy, no. He is other holy. He is in another category. So that's why we say the absolute moral distance between God and his human creatures. So he's that holy. And set apart, I think that is the best way to simply describe holiness. So when you're reading the scripture and you come to the word holy, really do say set apart. Think that. Because I think we think of holy, I mean, oh, it's some sort of, I don't know, ethereal thing. And, but it's actually to be set apart. So God is set apart and we are to be holy. So we're to be set apart. So those are basic definitions of holiness. And now as we get into this, again, uh, when I put up this title, that's kind of a statement, like a doctrinal statement, a truth. And then the scripture uh, that follows it backs it up. So uh, you guys will read the scripture once again, starting here. We just go back and forth all the way to the back. And uh, if you don't want to read, that's fine. Just tap the person next to you, let them know. Yeah. I like going, well, here's a little weird because there's no one else up here. So we'll go like this, but we will go back and forth like a snake. <laughs> so those of you in the back, <laughs> no, by the time it gets back to you, you'll have that figured out. Okay, so God is perfect in righteous holiness. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Okay, God's holiness demands exclusive worship. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay, so here, this is John, and at what point in John's life was this? Was he a young man or an old man? Old, old man. Why do we know that? Book of Revelation. So he's an experienced Christian, having served God, been with God, and served him for, for now decades. And the holiness of God is so great in an angel that he falls down and worships and is, is corrected. Worship God. So holiness has to do with the exclusive worship of God, not just somebody who emulates God's holiness or who radiates it. And God imparts holiness to believers. So he imparts holiness to believers. How does this happen? The Holy Spirit. I think of John 17 when he says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, just as we are one. Okay, so he makes us one with himself. He makes us a new creation. He, he lays his holiness upon us. He, he saves us the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, through Christ and his work. All right, so that's like the biggie, but now once you're a Christian, so you're a, you are a believer, how does he impart holiness to you? What's his 
It's a typical way of imparting holiness to your life. Through obedience, so, so let's say you're, what's that? Repentance. Oh, repentance. Discipline. There we go. <laughs> we, we got it all. Sanctification, we got it all. Okay, so we've had obedience, repentance, and what'd you say? Discipline. Discipline. Okay, so I'm going to use the word discipline. He imparts holiness to believers through discipline. Now, this discipline isn't necessarily... Uh, the negative form of it, which that can be, but you know, when you're disciplined as an athlete, it's a good thing. So you discipline yourself in the Word of God. You hear the preaching of the Word. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. You're made holy. So there is that level of discipline. But let's just say, okay, we're practicing that. Now think of your life. Uh, think of your own personal holiness, where you started. And think of the hard disciplines. Maybe disciplines for sin that you did directly, but maybe also just God brings tough things in your life. He's disciplining you. Okay, so you, you may be in that right now, and your life is crushingly hard. It's, it's really difficult. What happens, you've, most of you have been through this, but what happens after the discipline to, regarding holiness? What happens as a result of that discipline? You're more conformed to Christ. You're more conformed to Christ. Well, right. Yeah. So you're more holy. I mean, what, what do you really experience, though? Sanctification. <laughs> Sanctification. What do you experience? More peace. Huh? She said growth. Huh? Growth. Okay. Yeah, I'm fishing for stuff. Okay. You experience like, okay, I'm being crushed. I'm being disciplined by God. And you, it, it set apart. We're talking about holiness. And you, you start to say, I'm in love, let's say I'm in love with the world or some part of the world and he's disciplining me in that. He's ripping it away or he's making it. And you, the experience is, I don't want that. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it. So God spends a whole lifetime of sanctification disciplining us, taking away things that we're hooked to in the world, ripping it away. And, and, and the experience is difficult, like discipline, at the time, but the result, what? Righteousness. And you're righteous, not because it's just you're up there righteous. No, you now are set apart. You're saying, I'll leave that behind. I don't want it anymore. It's consumed me, I despise it, I leave it behind, I turn to God. So you're being set apart to God. So through discipline. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Okay, so talking about parents, they, for a short time they disciplined us. He disciplines us for good that we may share in his set-apartness, his holiness. God is unique in his holiness. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? His holiness is a standard for God's people. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Okay, so we are being called to be holy. Now we know we're made holy by Christ, but we are to be holy. We are to live a life of holiness. I, when I was a young uh, Christian, real early on, I, a guy said, hey, let's study a book on holiness. It's like, okay, that sounds really exciting. Um, it was a book, well-known book back then. It was Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Many of you probably heard of it or seen it or read it. Great book for a young Christian because it's, wow, we're expected to, to not, we, we, we have the holiness of Christ laid on us, but we're expected to live a holy life. And it is the standard. We're expected to live that way. He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And holiness rejects impurity. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Okay, so as, as uh, uncleanness or in a man of unclean lips comes before anything holy, there's a rejection, there's a, a chasm there. And we'll continue with another part of this same scripture. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And God is holy like no one else. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. So this is the holy, holy, holy. None is holy like the Lord. And a constant honor is due to the Holy One. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Okay. Uh, now we'll turn a little bit. Moses understands holiness when God calls him. We're going to look at Old some Old Testament stuff. But he understands his holiness. And... Uh, and so do God's people. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So it doesn't take any real teaching. I mean, there's teaching in this, but he's hiding his face. He's afraid to look at God. The teaching, God's saying, you're on holy ground now. So was that dirt really holy? Was it? Was the dirt holy? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> we can get that from the text. The dirt was holy. Why was the dirt holy? Because God was there. Because God was there. So wherever God is, <laughs> look out. So that's the, the, the ground. That wasn't special dirt, uh, but the fact that God was there. The ground, the stuff of creation, is not in itself special or dangerous. No, the ground is special and dangerous because Yahweh, the Supreme Holy One, is there. Anything brought into the presence of God is made holy by His being uh, 
pu being pure fire, either to salvation or destruction. So his, and we talked about this some a week or two ago, but his salvation and destruction come right at the same time. There's salvation and judgment with his presence coming. He's saving some, others are being destroyed. Um, so holiness is dangerous. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Okay, God's people, they're being told to come to the mountain, not to go up, but to come to the foot of the mountain. Now, you know this, most of you know the passage here. But is, just think of it a little bit, because I've, you know, there's fear with holiness. Is there fear in this when the people are there at the foot of the mountain? Okay, have any of you been woken up in the middle of the night with a thunder boom, one of those right at, above your house? Or maybe not in the middle of the night, anytime. What happens to you viscerally? What happens? Yeah, I mean, you can't, your, your heart drops to your stomach. There is one little thunder boomer. Has, has anybody been in an earthquake, even a small one, a trembler where you felt it? What happened? What'd you feel when it happened? It's, it's, okay, so this scene is like that, but it's God present on the mountain, and I would say how many here have been there when a volcano goes off, you know, because <laughs> it's kind of like that. There's this mountain with flame and fire and smoke. There's rumbling. There's God's voice speaking. There's trumpets blowing, and there's earthquakes and thunder and lightning. So this isn't just like a little communication to the people about, this is like massive. God is holy and they are scared to death. You would be, we are with one thunderclap, maybe. <laughs> this is kind of off the charts. And he's saying, come on up and get to know me. And what do they say? <laughs> yeah, not us. Moses, go up there. We can't take it. So it's all this is communicated just in his presence. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Okay. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm lost. That's what happens to any man coming before God. Any man, uh, the people who, who reject God, <laughs> same thing, I'm lost. Let the mountains fall on me. Uh, God makes us holy to himself. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Okay, again set apart. Your people set apart to the Lord your God, and this is you. 
He's chosen you to be this, to be set apart out of all the earth, to be set apart for him, to be holy. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is our call. Old Testament, New Testament. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is toned for. So this is how it happens. God takes away our guilt and our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. So we have here David's Psalm 22, thousand years before Christ, but Christ quotes this psalm. When's he quote it? On the cross, yeah, when he's dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which sounds like a a crazy thing for the Son of God to be saying to the Father, but if you read the psalm, and it even starts to hint at it real quick here, it was actually a, a psalm of hope. <laughs> and then it covers the crucifixion of Christ in that psalm. And then it ends, this is at the beginning of the psalm, but it ends with, you know, everybody's going to glorify you, the Christ. So even though he's quoting that on the cross, which is true, he's saying it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting a psalm that he knows well, and it's a psalm of hope in God. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted, you delivered them. God's people worship him in holiness. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And I like this one. I mean, we're going to go into worship here soon. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That is, we are to be worshiping Him in holiness, shouting, singing for joy, because He's here. In that day, man will look to his master, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. And the Holy One of Israel, Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus is. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Who's speaking that? <laughs> Demons. <laughs> I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, the one set apart, God himself. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So man, or, uh, 
the people of God denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer instead. Our holy God makes a way for man to dwell with God, and the way is Jesus Christ. Now, here I'm going to break away from what we've done in the other classes. I'm going to take you a little bit into the tabernacle, kind of a flyby, the fastest flyby that you'll probably have, have seen or heard. Some of you have studied the tabernacle. This is going to be straight through because the tabernacle is about Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of every part of the tabernacle. And it's really cool, but it's not just really cool. <laughs> it's a picture of Jesus. The Old Testament is full of pictures, and then Jesus comes and he fulfills the picture. Oh, here, here he is. Here's what we learned about. So the Old Tabernacle shows us what's required for man to approach a holy God. So what's required for man is very specific things have to happen. And we'll jump into that. What? Let's see here. Oh, I have something else. Um, Jesus Christ himself is displayed as he satisfies all of the elements needed for man to dwell with God on our behalf. So we have the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle, okay, how many here like reading the section on the tabernacle? Raise your hand if you like, just, that's my favorite part of the Bible, is reading on the tabernacle. <laughs> okay, it's, a, it's scripture. It's wonderful, but it's pretty hard maybe to read. It's kind of like parts of Leviticus or things that just keep repeating. And in part, it's hard because there's so much detail given in it. But the detail's there for a reason. It's a, again, it's a picture. So you have the tabernacle, and basically you have the grounds that are defined and only God's people can enter in. And then you have this kind of path to the holiness of God. So if you kind of went straight in through the east gate, there's only one gate, you, you go past all these things to the holy place and then to the holy of holies. And it's an approach to God. It's how does man, how is man allowed to come before God? So real quick, we're just going to take a look at each of the elements and a scripture that ties to it regarding Jesus. So Jesus is the gate. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. I'm the gate for the sheep. There's only one way in from John 10. There's only one way into God's pen <laughs> through Jesus who is the gate. And then right inside the gate we have the altar. Now it's a bronze altar, right? And it's where the sacrifice is. So you're heading straight in, and you want to get to the holy place. The first thing is sacrifice. Bronze in the Old Testament speaks of judgment. One of these keys, there's different, you know, gold speaks of perfection, silver speaks of something a little less, but bronze speaks of judgment. So if you knew that, and you're reading the Old Testament, you read something like uh, the bronze uh, serpent being held up by Moses, and you go, that is a weird thing. The people are dying. They're, they're actually being wiped out, and they've got to look for Moses standing with a bronze serpent? I mean, you talk about weird like that, okay, what is it? Well, the bronze is judgment, 
but Moses holding it up, it's, it's a picture of Christ on the cross, taking on the sin of the man. So the people are looking for God to save, and they're looking and they're saying, sin judged, the serpent judged. So there's all that wrapped up in it. But judgment's going on, bronze, and you have a bronze altar. Jesus is the sacrifice. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Requirement. But as it is, he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay. So sacrifice is required. And then as you're entering and you're continuing forward, what's next after the, alt, after the uh, sacrificial altar? What's next? The sea, the wash basin, it's translated different, but it's actually called the sea. There's this big tub of water. Jesus is the living water. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So the rock is Christ. The sea, everyone who's God's people, are baptized through the sea, which is the death and resurrection of Christ. It was also in the Old Testament, passing through the sea, when it split open, and on one side salvation, the other side is death. And there's also washing. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Okay, next we go into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And on the left, if you're heading in, would be the golden lampstand, which you can study each one of these things. The golden lampstand is very particular and it's displaying Christ and man. It's got seven, Christ in the center, man coming off of the center, that type of stuff. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And on the other side, opposite of the lampstand is the bread, the showbread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is, is the bread of life. We're to eat his flesh, drink his blood. Okay, next is a, uh, it's right before the Holy of Holies, is an altar of incense where the, the prayers of the saints are going up. <laughs> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we all... But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. All right, now we want to enter into the holy place next. But there's something there. That Jesus is the veil to God's holy place. He's the veil. You're going to see by the time we get to the end of this, this is not some big stretch. You can get a lot of this out of Hebrews, the explanation of a lot of it by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. The veil is his flesh. 
All right, so we get inside the Holy of Holies, and what do we find in there? <laughs> a lot of stuff. What's in there? The Ark. the Ark of the Covenant. There it is. The stuff in the Ark. Okay. The Ark of the Covenant. They shall make an Ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Okay, so they're making an ark out of wood. Again, we're going to study this. I'm just, I'll say a few things. Wood represents man in the tabernacle setting. So men are able to hold the poles, which are made out of wood, gold-plated. The ark is a picture of like an ark, like Noah's ark. It's gold-plated. It's in God's presence here, but it's an ark. And what's in that ark? Primarily, what's in the ark? The Ten Commandments. It's holding, there's man, there's the Ten Commandments. So there's this picture, these pictures are happening, are going on there. And on top of the ark is the mercy seat. It's a weird thing. Have you ever really, I mean, when you get that mercy seat, well, what's that about? What's the mercy seat made out of? Solid gold, <laughs> not like man, wood covered with gold, <laughs> the righteousness of Christ, but solid gold. And who sits on the mercy seat, would you say? It's the seat of Christ. Because <laughs> above the mercy seat is, is the Father or the, the glory of God. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. Okay. And then above the mercy seat. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be, and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Okay, so this is a picture. You have the angels worshiping God, outstretched. God's glory is there between the outstretched arms of the angel. And there's a, looking down, there's a mercy seat. And what is poured on that mercy seat? Solid gold plate, blood. Once a year, by who? The high priest, only the high priest. He goes and he pours the blood on the mercy seat, which if you're looking down through it, it's a satisfaction of the law. <laughs> okay. I'm not just, we're going to see, we're going to jump to the New Testament now here, I think. But it's this picture of Christ is it's just everything in this. <laughs> he's the high priest. He's the blood. He's the sacrifice. He's the bread. He's the light. He's the washing. He's uh, the gate. All these things is the fulfillment of Christ. And remember, these patterns were shown to Moses. You know, do it like you've, you've seen. You've actually seen this. So inside the Holy of Holies, God meets with man. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, 
I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Uh, Christ makes us holy and brings us to our holy God. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So here it is in the New Testament, the perfect tent, a greater and more, a greater and more perfect tent. So he's talking about the tent, the tabernacle, where God tabernacled with man, the more perfect tent. It was a picture of Jesus. He says, and it wasn't by these things, but it was by my own blood. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay, so he dies. And this tabernacle picture, it's the temple here, is forever changed. There was this old way, all these things that the priests had to actually do a lot of these. But we're made priests. And all of a sudden, at his death, it's very important because the veil, which is his flesh, right, was torn in two, and man now has access to God. So we have access to the Holy One, but it's through his ripped apart flesh and through his, the covering of his blood. It's, it's amazing, and he did everything, but we have access to the Holy Father because of Christ. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, I'm not just imagining things. I mean, there it is. The new and living way. He opened us through the curtain, the veil. That's through his flesh. We, Christ has done it all. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Christ makes us holy and brings us to our holy God. And Christ takes his seat next to God, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's it. That's the grand finale. <laughs> the holiness of God. We're early. It's the first time we've ever ended early. You want to pray? Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.